0: Principled leaders are created.
1: All right, welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I'm here with Lance Prosdowski. As always, we've been chatting for, it seems like, an hour before uh, the show about numerous things that we've had in the works, things that are coming out, things that have already come out over on Prospects Live. It's been a busy time over the last couple of weeks as we've released our top 100 lists. Lance, welcome back to the show, man.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, man. How are you?
1: <laughs> you're you're the co-host. We're not I actually having <laughs> <laughs> It's been a weird off season. You know, we've been inconsistent with some of these. So, uh, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Prospect slide, uh,
0: man. It's taken, it's taken priority to some extent. We've, we've been, uh, you know, absolutely. up and down with things. But I just want to say it is six degrees in Chicago right now. We had this crazy cold wave. And oh, it's uh, hot. I, I turned off the heat in my apartment just so there's no feedback on my mic. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not feeling the cold yet, but I think it's going to come like halfway through this pod. I'm just going to start shivering and teeth are going to chatter and you're going to hear it. It's going to be great. I'm ready barely cold off nice. for the Pot.
1: well i'll i'll try to come with a lot of hot takes uh, <laughs> uh in there order to warm there you up yeah you know i don't want to complain about how cold it is here because it was it was literally like negative 40 where you are so <laughs> it's uh, pretty bad yeah was that was that a level of cold you've never experienced yes. like growing oh, yeah. up in New england and i think that's no, the funniest that. thing is like people think it's cold like that here and it's no, not it's we get not snow that. but we never get like those crazy you know, plain states, central, uh, you know, Midwest sort of temperatures just because we have mountains and stuff, I guess. So I, I'm guessing it must block some of those really cold winds. I'm not quite sure. Bill I, I James, don't know, but Bill <laughs> James doesn't believe that wind makes the, it makes the air colder, but, um,
0: Oh, well that, I could, I could refute that based on the fact that like you stand outside, it's like, Oh, it's not that bad. And then the wind hits you and you're like, Oh my God, I can't feel it, anything.
1: So he's, he's gotten to the point that he's, he's arguing about whether wind affects temperature or not. And he's also arguing in favor of RBIs and batting average.
0: Uh, Well, he's always had that stance. We won't get into that today. I actually actually had a really good debate with a friend of mine the other day about Bill James's war stance, and I see a little bit of light with it. There's a little bit. I disagree with it wholeheartedly, but there's his rationale behind, like, things that have happened regardless of what should have happened pose some value to, like, the present. So, like, if you're hitting 333 and you do it for an entire season and it's all luck-based, should we discount that simply because that shouldn't have happened? Even though it did happen, like this is literally his argument. This is why he believes in I think B War over F War because B War is based off what happened. It's not fit based, etc. It's it's a I think it's a runs over RA nine based or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I, there's a little bit of merit with it. I mean, this goes back to uh, there's a whole uh, like right side of history with players. You know what I mean? In MVP debates, it's like well, I it was on the right side of history because I picked the guy who was better for the next couple of years. It's like, well, should the MVP reflect the best player in a given season, or should it reflect the best player of like that? Era, you know, there's like two different questions. True. So True. I see a little bit of merit. I disagree with it. But I think it's important to understand both sides of an argument when you get an argument that deep. So,
1: yeah, I'm not I'm not completely against batting average because I, I, d- I, mean, I
0: of course I, I don't like it. You know,
1: uh, you all, I don't I don't really put a ton of weight into it. But at the same time, I think there are guys where that's a sh- reflective of the strength in their game versus the on base percentage. And sure there is still something to be said for guys that can put the ball in play, you know, hit to all fields, um, you know, move guys along. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, not everyone's necessarily going to hit 20 homers and, and walk at a 15% clip but that, I do think there's still a place for it in the game. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly I think that, you know, it's, it's telling if a guy's a high OPS, a lot of power, you know, and he still has a good batting average. Okay. You know, I, I I don't want to completely dismiss it, but it's probably like the 15th thing that I look at. Yeah. No, I and maybe maybe that's even being, you know, somewhat optimistic with how much weight I put in the batting average. So yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's just like a useless stat. No, 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 no,
0: it's not useless, but it's one of those things like everyone looks prospectively so much. You're always trying to predict what a guy's trying to do that. Like batting average is basically useless for that fact. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, of course, if you're trying to look forward, you're not going to look at batting average for player value. But if you're if you're looking retrospectively at something, like there's there's a little bit of value in it. If you're looking back and going, yo, this guy hit two ninety over whatever, 130 games with like only a three forty would be bad or something. There's well, value in it. But
1: do you think yeah. do you think there's value do you think there's any value in RBI at a certain level being a skill? Driving in runs. Oh, with runners tough. on, runners in scoring position. Yeah, Especially I, if it's I don't something that's believe. done over the course of a long period of time, or do you just think it's this guy's a good hitter? There are certainly guys that hit better with runners on. I mean
0: There are, there are. I think the the biggest I I don't know if I have a strong opinion one way or the other. The thing that I will say is that I I, I believe that there's a bit of like a uh, a stigma around clutch where people think hitters are clutch for doing like what they do all the time in situations where there's maybe a runner on second, you know? Like you always say like I'm a three I'm a three hundred hitter, you know what I mean? And I'm all of sure. a sudden clutch because I hit 300 in situations that are a little more high intensity. It's like no, that's that's generally what I do all the time, right? I guess I guess maybe if you look at it over long stretches and you go, this guy's like a 190 hitter with a run scoring position, then you go, okay, what's going on? And it's got to be a big stretch, but yeah. I doubt that stuff stabilizes quickly. And I, I always feel like clutch is mistermed. It's just just what the guy's always done, especially if there's small variation. Say 280 hitter overall. You know, he's 310 in clutch situations over two seasons. It's like, is that really even predictive? Probably not. Right. I, I would, I would imagine. No,
1: not. no, 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 no. And I think that, you know, for the most part, it's good hitters drive guys in, in big spots because they're good hitters, right. Yeah, and they have power or they have whatever it is can take advantage of. But at the same time as someone who played sports my whole life, and though I was never a professional athlete, um, you know, I played for a long time. I played at a pretty decent level up until high school and multiple sports yeah. against good players. There are guys that I feel rise to the occasion. Um, and there's certainly people who falter in the big moment. And there's the yips and there's a mental element to sports.
0: Absol- so, oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So I, I think that's one thing that I have trouble completely um, dismissing altogether is that, you know, there isn't, there isn't, not there's a clutch gene so much, but there are some people who are bigger in big moments than others.
0: <coughs> i would agree with that yeah i think that there's some merit to that i don't know if, how it's quantifiable but I, I mean i i agree with what you're saying like you can't just take a whole quant- quantitative approach to that you know what i mean you can't just say there are or there aren't because there's 100 situations where you run into that you're probably gonna be proven wrong because of one reason or another in that respect but i don't know man myth of the hot hand right that was a uh, old uh, old was that scorecasting the book that like debunked the hot hand um yeah which, it's funny, because whenever you talk to someone who's ever played, like, pickup basketball, they're always like, no, that's such BS. Oh, God, this guy was just hitting a bunch of threes from the, out of the corner, you know what I mean? It's like anyone who's ever played pickup basketball you know, 100% <coughs> believes that the hot hand exists, which is always really funny to me. But I guess it's a different different thing in baseball, because there's, you know, there's two people as opposed to one person, generally, depending on it, one singular outcome. I can run up the court and shoot a three versus I have to see a 95-mile-per-hour fastball from Verlander to hit it you know what I mean he's got to locate that and pick where he's thrown and where he's thrown and what he's throwing speed he's throwing et cetera so
1: I think I you know. get in a groove too though
0: like I, like I, I think well, that you definitely exists. absolutely yeah, yeah
1: you know mm-hmm. well I think there's that I think there's a certain point where like you know confidence just you know starts to supersede maybe even normal abilities at times you know um yeah. and you just get you just get in a groove with something and you just go on a, a hot streak for a while absolutely. Um, I think it I like happens that. in all sports too. Or or it could just be the luck of the bounce. You get a bunch of lucky bounces, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's possible as well. Hey, let's dig into some top 100 talk. We released the top 100 uh, fantasy prospects. What is it? A week ago now, Mm -hmm. uh, Friday. Um, So when you listen to this a little bit more than a week ago, um, it's done really well. I think it was well received. Um, It was all six of our, I guess, sort of experts that we have on the site. Uh, That would be myself, Lance, Jason Waddell. Jason Panini, Matt Thompson, and uh, Eddie Almaguer, and we all combined our list together, had uh, our, our good friend Smato, you know, one of our partners over at Prospects Live, uh, average everything together, and we came out with sort of this this composite ranking based on all of us. We also released uh, a way that you can look at all of our lists, so if you go on, not only do you have the top 100 list, you'll have the interactive top 100, which has all of our lists all together, which I think is a really nice way to consume it, and um, it happened to be sort of during industry list week because everyone released, released their uh, list. So we have some guys that were highest on, guys that were lowest on. I want to get into some of these. Lance, why don't you uh, take us through some of the guys that we were highest on?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we were highest on. Uh, I, I picked four for highest and lowest. So f- the first four, the group of four here will be the ones we're highest on. Um, in no specific order, we are highest on Carter Keboom of uh, the Nationals, obviously. We have him at 14 overall. Um, that's the highest of the industry str- sites, and we are considering the industry sites, Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, Keith Law, and Pipeline. Fangraph's list, I don't believe, comes out until probably a couple months into the season is usually when they release it because they're still going through their top 30s or whatever. Um, so we're highest on Carter Kibun. We have him at 14, Kristen Pache, uh, outfielder for the Braves at 20, Nico Horner. We have him at 55, uh, middle infielder for the Cubs. And Vidal Bruhan. we have at 33, second baseman for the Tampa Bay Rays. That is our... Uh, quad whatever, quad of players that we're highest on um, I am interested in Whether you think we're a little too high on Bruhan Because I know this is a guy I like a bit And I, I think I'm invested in a little bit I've heard a lot of praise around him But I almost feel like we're a first mover here And I don't know if there's too much room For us to push him up higher If he actually does succeed Do you think this is more of a rank Where we're hoping that he produces really well And then we leave him leave him kind of where he is Maybe move him up a little bit with guys who graduate Is that how you kind of view as this rank at, at 33 for Bruhan?
1: Yeah, I kind of think so. But I think there's some opportunity for him to definitely pop into the top 25. We had him 22 on the fantasy list. And I think for, you know, a lot of us, it's the fact that he combines sort of plate approach. And I mean, when I say plate approach, I mean, an excellent plate approach, the ability to walk uh, at a high number and strike out at a really low number. He's a 70 runner with good instincts on the bases Um, he's a guy that has enough power to shoot the gaps right now and really use his legs to, to push some of those, uh, you know, defenders to, to get an extra base and just put pressure on the defense to make plays, which sometimes leads to mistakes. I think, you know, that's something that's understated and he shows some developing power. If you really look at some of the, the natural loft in his swing, um, and he's a strong guy with really strong forearms, though, not the biggest guy, um, I think there's some Jose Ramirez comps to be had there. Not not that I'm going to put it directly on him, but a guy with really good approach, good bat to ball skills, um, maybe a little bit underrated because of his size, and he also came from a very remote part of the Dominican Republic. I don't know if you realize that he's from the woods. Yeah, wow. um, yeah. he's from like the backwoods. So he was a, another good scouting job by the Rays. They've done an excellent job in the international market uh, over the last few years, uh, obviously with Wander Franco and some of these guys, but. Um, he was a guy that impressed me a lot in 2017 in a short stint over a three-series, uh, three-game series. I know we've talked about it on this pod before. He even blew up, um, you know, in the New York Penn He came into Lowell, and I think he went like nine for twelve that series or something. Stole a bunch of bases, scored a lot of runs, you know, doubles, um, and he and he just was one of the more polished shooters I saw, I and mean, he was a teenager, so he kind of mm-hmm. stuck out. And then, you know, he went to the Midwest League this year, you know, looked very well, but, you know, did very well there with Bowling Green and then went down to the Florida State League and blew up even more. So I think when you look at a guy that's progressed so quickly and he has such a high floor and a high baseline of really important um, kind of real life tools on both sides of the ball, but also like the this flashy offensive upside you know, I think he's a guy that potentially could be a star and he's a guy that could fit like a leadoff role. Um, you know, once he's ready because he has that sort of leadoff skill set. Um, and it's those power speed guys. I think that really can become difference makers, especially if they have a high OBP. Um, and that's just in terms of like, you know, war and all that sort of stuff. Even, um, you know, if you see a guy that's able to walk in a high clip, not strike out very much, put the ball in play, score a lot of runs, and you know, play play above average defense. He's you know an athletics uh, second baseman. You know, I think that's a guy that potentially could be like you know a, a top ten WAR guy in peak. But um, I, I think there's some room for him to move up because I think if he he unlocks a little more power and continues to show the same approach he's always shown in that speed and it doesn't tick back at all. I mean, this could be a top ten to fifteen guy a year from now.
0: Do you think there's a chance Nico Horner is the steal of last year's draft in terms of uh, just overall production? He went to the AFL really, really good down there. He seems to be soaring through. He's played like three or four games at three levels last year. I have to imagine he's not starting in South Bend uh, come 2019. Is this a steal of the draft?
1: I think it is. And I think there's a chance he might even start at A, just because you saw what he did in the AFL. Yeah, and, and it's that's like it's,
0: it's, borderline Triple it's, A AA, level, right, I believe, in terms of production. Probably, probably even closer to A.
1: Yeah. I've always heard double a, um, like really good, like high end double a, but that's, but that's fine. I mean, there's so many guys that end up in the major leagues within, you know, 12 to 18 months of playing in that league. So, um, though, I guess maybe like 10 to 18 months because 12 wouldn't make a whole lot of sense because it's the Arizona fall league anyway. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I think that he's probably likely to be the, the steel, um, yeah, I think he's likely to be the steal of the draft. If I'm if I'm quite honest, and I'm cool. shocked. I, like
0: it. I think I'm there. With sites
1: sites aren't aren't higher on him. You know, yeah. same goes for Jonathan India. I, I thought that laws rank of Jonathan India is is very low. Yeah, he was in the nineties. Very, very low, right? and there were other things that I read from other sites that I was like, have you seen Jonathan India hit? You know, and, uh, and
0: I was impressed when I saw him at uh, Fort Wayne. He came out. Um, I like everybody that's I, I think
1: everyone that's seen him has said you know, had high praise for him and people that have watched him at Florida. said the same thing. There's a lot of people I feel that looked at uh, the big jump in production between a sophomore and his junior season at Florida Mm. and said, yeah, well this guy had never done it before. Well, but I think there's two ways to break that down. Potentially this guy improved. He's also been a three-year starter at Florida. Historically the strongest talent program in the country from top to bottom of their rosters. Historically they have multiple first round picks and top 5 round guys every single year. I mean, you go back and you look at like that whatever 2015 2016 roster and it's it's pretty ridiculous, you know, from from top to bottom how many talented guys are on there. Indy was on that roster. Um, he also went to the Cape Cod League and you don't know what sort of improvements guys are making, you know, over that stretch because so much is now being focused and built up to sort of springboard them during this big draft season, right? pre-draft season before they they become a professional um he hit better in the sec than he did not in in, in um, non-conference games which says a lot it's one of the toughest conferences in the country and he led the conference in homers and i mean if you look at the the approach numbers the on-base numbers all that stuff was through the roof so are we not to believe it because he had a breakout like as a as a junior andrew mm-hmm. benintendi had a had a breakout as a junior and became a win was a golden spikes winner, you know. And we we now see how quickly he matriculated the major leagues, and is one of the most important players on you know one of the greatest teams I think probably in the last twenty years. And I'm not just saying that as a homer. I mean, just the numbers speak for themselves: 110 games and everything else. And he was a very important player. You've seen guys like Bregman. You know, it's funny because there's a lot of knocks on these guys sometimes. Like Bregman at the time, and I fell into this. A lot of people are like. I don't know how much power there is. I don't know how much he's a pretty good hitter, but I just don't know if there's a lot there. And is it you know once again a premium SEC guy? Now I guess I could kind of talk myself into Nick Madrigal with this situation, but I think that Nick Madrigal is a different hitter than Alex Bregman or Jonathan India. I think you'd agree with that. Yes. So I think India compares favorably because he has sort of that all across the board skill set, and he has a track record of playing at a high level um, in important games. And yeah, I mean, it's not like he popped out of nowhere going to Mercer, you know?
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, that's a good point. I'm, I'm, I'm on there with you. Um, let's jump into some of the guys we're lowest on a couple names here. I think are interesting. Um, well, the first thing I actually want to mention prior to getting into this, because we're going to mention three pitchers here or two and a half, I guess you'll understand that in a second. But, uh, we, uh, one of the biggest takeaways we had smarter run some data as always. Um, he's doing amazing stuff for us. And, uh, we have the least amount of pitchers compared to these four industry sites. Um, BA BP Keith law and pipeline, which is interesting just because obviously there's a little more risk with pitchers in terms of the injury side of things. I think we had about 34, which was I believe one or two, 34, 35, which was one or two lower than the next. And Keith law actually is the list that we correlate the least with in terms of just, you know, what we share in terms of players and probably ranks as well. I'm not really sure what SMATA put into that, which is brew of formula, but, uh, but we are, we correlate at least with him, and I have to imagine there's some connection between that and the fact that we are not really too high on pitchers. And uh, Keith Law has a lot of pitchers. Keith Law, I think, he had about 50 pitchers in there. I think so. That was that was the well, highest of all the industry sites. So um, there's, I mean, I, I guess there's a couple ways to look at it. I mean, if I I, I actually kind of praise this argument I think on Twitter a bit ago regarding Forrest Whitley and the fact that if we see him so squarely above everybody else, I think they're should be a slight value uptick in his overall profile just because the commodity is so scarce there's such a scarce commodity of these pitchers that we think could really be top of the rotation guys we, no one really has any other pitcher inside their top 15 i think i think law had gore in there and maybe um someone else as well but let's say on the whole no one really has anyone except force William in the top 15s like do you think that there's Maybe a bit of value in that, even with the injury risk. If I could, you could tell me this guy's shot at putting up some five war pitching seasons and turns into a Walker Bueller. I mean, we've seen guys like that in terms of just their value being engaged. Guys like Trevor Bauer, etc. And the fact that Forrest Whitley is this close to the major league level at such a young age with unbelievable biomechanics and stuff. I mean, I uh, I, I like him a lot. So, um, mm-hmm. but let's dig into this. These guys were lowest on. Did you have something to say to the Ralph? I saw you.
1: No, 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 no. I was, okay. I was uh, yeah, I was totally agreeing with it. No you. problem.
0: Cool. <laughs> I just wasn't sure. I saw you moving. I was like, oh, maybe he's got a comment. But uh, guys uh-huh. were lowest on Keebar Ruiz, catcher from the Dodgers. We have him at 68 overall. We're the lowest of all the sites. Mitch Keller at 51 were the lowest of all the sites. Right handed pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Sixto Sanchez at 53, uh, right handed pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies. And Brendan McKay is the half pitcher I mentioned there. That is the uh, first baseman, right handed pitcher. Uh, left hand pitchers, right, actually? No, he's a righty. Is he yeah. righty or what? lefty?
1: Brendan McKay is a lefty.
0: Lefty and lefty. He's a left left.
1: Yeah, he's a left. Okay, he's left, left.
0: Yeah, Louisville. Okay, wow, I was mixing that up. He's at 61, and we're low on him. Um, so I want to say one. I believe the Sanchez rank is driven down primarily by a non rank by Waddell, I think, and someone else, right? Because um, I think everyone else was kind of top 50 on him, and then we had, or no, we had him like I think top 30ish. I don't want to, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I, that rank I think was driven down by someone with a non rank. So we're lowest, oh. but I mean, hey, this is the problem with aggregation, like. We're we're submitting ourselves to this and I'm I'm very comfortable with the rank we have on him. Mitch Keller, I know you were a little lower on him, Ralph. I wanna I wanna hear your thoughts on him in terms of the uh,
1: Sure why I don't like him. Sure. So um I did not rank Mitch Keller in my top one hundred. And I also gonna say that I think one of the reasons we're lower on pitchers than other people is because there's probably more variance in the pitchers that we like. That's and if, a good I think point. I think if you combined all these different lists that were done by let's say uh, probably the same number of people we had in our uh, um, you know composite list, uh, I, I would I would be willing to bet that there's probably um, just as much variance in terms of what pitchers they like. Now, um, when it comes to Mitch Keller, I, you know I, he was cusp cusp of the top 100 for me. So that's not to say that he's not in the discussion. I kind of mentioned this the other day when I was on the uh, Bench with Bubba podcast that there's probably 140 150 realistic top 100 prospects. There's more than 100 top 100 prospects. I know that sounds insane to say, but because of everyone's opinions and variances and how small the differences are really between a lot of these guys in the back end of the list, I, I think that there are, it, there's logical co- uh, uh, conversations and arguments to be made for several different guys that probably didn't make our list. Now, as for Mitch Keller and why I am the low man on Mitch Keller, it's because, number one, I think that he's a prototype from a foregone era that's now passed us by I don't like the Pittsburgh throwing program personally, and I feel like some of the things that Keller does were sort of exposed once he got up to the AAA level. And <clears throat> sorry, I'm still getting over a cold. And it happened a little bit um, in the AA level as well. And I think that what Keller does is he's a guy that pounds the bottom of the zone with good velocity, drives you know a, a lot of ground balls, doesn't miss a ton of bats um, though. He can miss some, but I think a lot of it has been overpowering hitters at lower levels Um, and his slider at times can flash plus, but it's not, I wouldn't say that it's like a true hard 60 pitch right now. I I, I really don't. And I don't, I don't project out his changeup to be in a solid, consistent average pitch that he can throw uh, at this point. So, what this adds up to, to me, is a two-pitch guy, mostly low fastballs, in the zone. And we know that one of the big developments in hitting over the last few years is these power numbers have you know shot through the roof, is guys lowering their hands, get launch angle, to be able to tee off on low fastballs. Because I think that's, you know, in the previous era where these pitches were dominant and the offensive numbers were dropping was all these ground ball guys all these guys that were controlling contact by throwing low in the zone and getting a lot of ground balls. We're now seeing the opposite as some of these ground ball guys are getting mashed on. So he doesn't miss that many bats. A swing strike rate to a pedestrian in double A and triple A. So is he going to come up to the majors and just blow guys away? I I don't think so. I think that he's a guy that's going to struggle for a few years and he's going to have to develop that third pitch. And it might be ugly for two years before it finally clicks. Now that might be the same for a lot of these guys, but personally, I actually have a lot more faith in a guy like Corbin Martin, who I feel has you know three different off, you know secondary offerings and his, his changeup and his two breaking balls, and then you know a high spin fastball. That I think that guy right now is a better fit to be successful in the major leagues for a long stretch of time in the current environment than Mitch Keller is. Um, that's not the say Mitch Keller doesn't have good stuff. He's got excellent mechanics, very easy velocity. Um, the slider is still a good pitch and you know, he's an innings eater. So he, you know, he can take on a lot of innings. And I think that that's an important attribute. But for me at the end of the day, I feel there's better guys. I want to see somebody that's able to miss bats. I think that's a big part of it. And I don't even care if that guy turns out to be a really good reliever because I feel that that's still um, ultimately a really important skill and, and being able to get out of jams without putting the ball in play at times it can make all the difference in big spots and tight spots and being successful in the majors is getting out of those tight spots.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I think it's a very fair point. I actually think I ranked Keller above Brian Hayes when I did my pirates list, but I think I'd probably backtrack on that now um, with all the love that I've seen for Brian Hayes and, which is kinda of funny because I feel like Yeah. I don't mean to call myself the OG on Cabrian Hayes, but uh you were. let's go back. You were. Let's go back to those archives, Ralph. Give me some give me some early twenty seventeen looks from January when we were doing that pirates list. I fucking love Cabrian Hayes. Well, wow, I don't swear on this pot a lot. That was cool.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but no, Cabrian hilarious. Hayes is fun. But Keller, uh yeah, I, I don't know if I'm that low on Keller. I think I have him top fifty. Um I think for him it's really always been easy velocity, which is something that I, I do am, I admit I get a little uh I don't know. It, it, it gets me every now and then, you know, I was big on it. I was big yeah, on it. No, I get it. You know, I mean, you remember him dead in the Dodger system. Now but I, I, I was really, uh, I killed,
1: I killed him like after his first season. Like I was yeah, like, this I guy, was, is I, I, not had I, I had hope. I am very, I am very much into the combination of pitching ability. And I think that's the mental element of it, of, um, sequencing, but also, um, having that elite feel, to be able to shape your pitches. Like it's one of the things I love about Casey Mize is he has variations of all of his pitches because his feel and, and you know, is so elite that that's a difference maker. That's, that's Maddox stuff. And I'm not saying he's great Maddox, but that's the separators between the guys that are surefire starters, rotation pieces for 10 years in the majors and guys that bounce around and maybe aren't successful and end up in the pen. You know, if, if Andrew Miller had elite feel and four pitches, Andrew Miller wouldn't have turned into a bullpen piece. He would have been the starter that people thought he was when he was drafted. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I agree I with you. I mean, I I'm a. That, uh, I'm, that's a big part of it. It's, it's why Jesus Lazaro is so good. And I think it's one of the reasons that we love Forrest Whitley is, yeah. and it's one of the things JP kind of harped on is from game to game, this guy could attack a lineup with a different secondary as his main off-speed pitch. And I think, that says a lot. I mean, like he's 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 working the cutter today, or he's all curveballs, he's all sliders. You know, like he's and he's still dropping the changeup, and then he can mix in these these things every so often. And it's like that keeps hitters off balance, especially if it's good stuff, right? I, mm-hmm. I mean, no, so, I, you're you're spot on. I almost think the, give me more, an arsenal, give me a deep arsenal, give me a guy that has feel for for his pitches.
0: And and you expand that out. I think one of the more important things to consider, not even start to start, but the long term and how hitters are seeing pitchers consistently over two-month spans where they're saying, okay, this guy's throwing a lot of fastballs in, he's throwing a lot of cutters away, he's going, you know, change up on uh, two-strike counts to lefties more than he does in, instead of going his curveball, you know? When when hitters start to realize that and know that's coming, they internalize that and they're able to react. And that's why you see ups and downs and guys with more pitches are substantially more equipped to counteract whatever the hitter is doing to adjust. That is the, I think the, prevailing point in this argument in terms of just liking pitchers with multiple pitches. And this goes back to force Whitley as well as Casey Mize and some other guys. It's just you bring Casey Mize up to the major league level and he succeeds fastball slider with his two best pitches. And then guys after two months, understand what he's doing and know the buck on him. And then Mize goes to his changeup and then Mize goes to his curveball or excuse me, splitter. He has an early curveball. I think too, like that is super, super important to be able to adapt against what the hitters are doing. This is why guys become really good pitchers. This is why I love Walker Bueller. It's why Corey Kluber is is as good as he is at such a late age. Mm -hmm. There's so many guys you could rattle off, and this is the reason why. There's rarely, rarely, rarely pitchers. Like, Archer is really the only one in the last however many years to just sit on two pitches and be successful. And even with him, I mean, mean, he's been successful. His peripherals were always good, but was he ever like a top three pitcher in baseball? Probably not. Maybe even top five. He's probably fringed that, I think, at points. But... I mean, this a couple of years ago, debate. maybe for, yeah. for like
1: half a season. <laughs> no,
0: that's that's true. That's true. Um, but let's get off pitchers for a second.
1: Actually, yeah, we'll get no, off pitchers for a second. I one sec. more. No, oh, I right, yeah, one more I wanted it. to mention, and I was going to say that, you know, I think that Ruiz is a guy that. Okay, that's where I was going to. Um, so <laughs> we're, we're we're questionable on the how the whole package comes together. It's not to say he's not a good player. There's some de- there's some defensive ability there in terms of my understanding and what I've seen. I'm not gonna go out there and say that I am uh, behind the plate scouting his 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 you know his catching, his defense, is receiving, his framing, his throwing. But for all I see, you know, there are some skills there. I don't think it's Francisco Mejia, though we he's eerily similar to Mejia in some ways. I'm just gonna say that. Like I think that where Mejia was at the same point, we maybe had a little bit more hype for Mejia even. Um but we see how that that ticks back as Maybe a guy can't catch, or he struggles a little bit with something. There's that. His approach is elite. There's not a lot of hard contact at the moment. There's not a ton of power. Not that, that couldn't come, but I think with his swing mechanics, there's some questions as to if it will come. I think he'll always be a good contact hitter. He'll always get on base. I don't think he's going to strike out at at a huge rate. <laughs> um, but I do worry, you know, ultimately how much impact there's going to be. And then it really rests in the catcher defense. And is it good enough for him to have, you know, a big impact at the major league level? So I think there's just some questions there. I don't think it's a knock on him. I don't think it's in the knock in the rank or that he's not a good player, but I think there's some conversation to be had as there's a lot of risk here still, even if he doesn't seem risky because he doesn't strike out a lot and he walks and there's still risk because he's a catcher with this skill set. And there's some question as to, you know, if he's not a gold glove defender, that's always takes precedent, in my opinion. I mean, the, the Red Sox won last year. I think I've said this too many times, but they won last year with essentially Christian Vasquez and Sandy Leone. And Sandy Leone is a negative offensively pretty much any way you look at it, other than maybe a homer every so often. Right. Mm-hmm. And the Indians a few years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you need an elite catcher offensively. In order to win, so I don't think it's something that they put a lot of value on at the position, um, and that's really what his carrying tool is. And I don't know if he necessarily fits at third or at first or you know where he could end up. So I just think there's some risk there. And the other one I wanted to mention was Brendan McKay. Yes, I think we just we don't go so gaga for him in terms of how he's going to be used. I think we all like him. There's some folks that are higher than others. We think he's a great talent. He might even. It, I don't know. I just don't know how much stock I put into him being a two way player and how much he can contribute and how it's all going to work out. Um, cause if he's just a left-handed pitcher, I'm, I'm comfortable with where he's ranked. Maybe he even be ranked a little lower. I don't know. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we just don't, maybe we're just not buying the, uh, Shohei Otani method so much with him <laughs> that it's necessarily going to come to fruition. But, um, that's not to say that he's not a talented player on both sides of the ball. He's a good pitcher and he is a good hitter, regardless of what his batting average might say. I said that just for you, Lance.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Let's go back to Ruiz first. So, yeah, I connected with an individual who is a good friend of mine who s- covered the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Dodgers, and he connected with a scout for me and said that Keybert's defense isn't good, um, and it's it's not ready for the major league level. It's probably not even ready for AAA is what I heard. So uh, take that for what it's worth. It's one scout's opinion. But um, I did get confirmation on that. So I'm happy to toss that out there and, of course, take it with a grain of salt, whatever. But he's interesting mainly because I, I think I was a little lower on him. But I'm more concerned with guys like this where there's any fear that he might move off the position that what happens in that scenario, and I think we're running into this with Mejia, Especially on a team where there's Austin Hedges, where you're not going to move off catcher, who you're going to have catcher 120 games, just unless he's injured or something like that. But if you move a guy like that off catcher, the value f- is is really all over the place. Especially if he's carrying tools as hit. So if you move him off and he's a 280 hitter at any other spot, it's good, but it's not great. You know, if you're a 280 hitter behind the plate, you're in the top 10 percent of catchers probably. You're in the Posey, um, old Lucroy tier. You know, if you want to call <laughs> it that of sorts, current J.T. Realmuto, Muto, Grandaltier, and that is always my concern, and that's really why, and it's odd because there's so many catchers on this top 100, but I think Ruiz was like one of the only ones where I was just like, man, I I think if he moves off the position, his value can really fall very quick, because like if Murphy stays there for the A's, I like Murphy, I think a lot of people like Murphy, especially defensively, even if he can't hit, I mean, this goes back to what you were saying, it's like, you can kind of tolerate a 230 average, I mean, teams have done it all the time, with who's been a pretty good framer, but I, I, I just think teams are very much less inclined to tolerate a good bat behind the player just and, and get a catcher in there. I don't know why. I mean, maybe there's they know something in terms of their valuation of catchers that the public doesn't. But that's why I'm concerned about Ruiz. I think I have a lot more concern than other people. Um, I'm not sure if I was the low man on him among us, but him ending up at 68 I had to suggest there were some people below 70. I think I was probably in the 50ish window with him. Maybe there's someone who's really low or someone didn't rank, whatever. But I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that rank, honestly. I think it's okay to be a little low on him, especially with the risk involved. And McKay is actually the guy I think I was a little higher on. Um, I like McKay. I'm actually working on a little specific curve and the possibility that maybe they're just accumulating data on all these um, guys who are 2A, especially with Tanner Dotson and the fact that sure. they're even considering Matt Davidson. Um, this will probably be up on Prospects Live sometime soon. I'm, I'm probably going to source it. But it's been on my mind a lot just because I really like the idea that they can go absolutely off the rocker and use him in like a weird reliever two to three inning role where then they could flip him out and move him to first base and also have him as a hitter and I mean I get that there's confusion around what exactly the total package is if he's purely a left-handed hitter he's probably not a top 70 prospect but if you're telling me this guy could be one and a half orish on either side of the ball combined throughout a season and you net him into a three-work guy I think there's a lot of intangible value that the versatility adds in his profile and that's what I'm really really hitting on here I think I had him top 30 and I'm, I'm very comfortable with that just because of the possibility that he turns into a super super unique player um, in this respect I just I really really like that I really like the fact that they could kind of go off the rails with him and the fact that they have other guys that they're considering doing it with you know especially on the reliever variety and not in the Otani starter variety I think it's more of a feasible path to being a true two-way talent I think Otani's a clear outlier but at the end of the day if he you know I, I'm, I'm I don't want to say Otani ends up being one way or the other but the logical thing to do with Otani is probably to make him like a two-inning reliever where he's throwing an inning or two a week you know what I mean and make him a full-time hitter, because he's, he's amazing on both sides of the ball, and I get the value of wanting him to go six or seven, but in, in the way the game's going, it's really valuable to have a guy who could go two or three innings and accumulate maybe 40, 50 over a year, give you a war on that side, and then be two war batter. Because mckay has got a really good approach. Like, I get that he doesn't have, like, a high average. I know I was getting ripped on Twitter because of that. I was like, great, tell me when I, you know, we were just talking at the top of the show about average. It has some value, but – I don't want it being cited on Brendan McKay who's hitting in whatever high A, you know what I mean, with a 350 Ugh. career OBP. It's like, get out of here. So I like McKay a lot. I think I'm – we're going to have – I mean, when the season starts up, Ralph, we're going to have to go back to the Brendan McKay update. You know what I mean? Of course. We were def- he's I'm the most fascinating player he's in the most minor fascinating leagues. leagues. I'm not
1: saying that. But Absolutely. No, I yeah, agree But you I just know.
0: think, yeah, yeah, I just think, you know,
1: he's a top 100 guy. It's not saying Absolutely. that. It's just, you know, if you rank him 30, I mean, you really got to think that it's all going to work out. Or you think that, like, regardless of what the bat, the bat is – you think that this guy, you know, left-handed pitching-wise could be, you know, an ace.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe I will say, if, if he falls off, if he only goes to pure pitching, like, I'm going to drop him off 30, obviously. But I'm right now, I'm, I'm ranking him with the possibility that he's 2 way and, and maybe that's a little aggressive, maybe it's a little naive, I don't really know. Maybe the Braves have more of an inclination on what they're going to do long-term. But he's a fun piece in that system. He's the most interesting player in minor league baseball to me. Um, anything else on these guys, Ralph? Uh, six of Sam. A couple lists he was left off. We had him at 53. I think I probably still had him top 50. Um, I don't know if I'm I so had him. Real. Yeah,
1: I, ha- I think I, I think I still had him like the top 30. I might have. Had him yeah, like
0: I think I might have him like 30 or 35, 40. But
1: talent, man. He's just he's so talented so young and on, a, dude. On, on a real life list that even if he misses a year, I'm not that concerned.
0: Same, yes. This is where I ran on like a guy like Kopech. Like I still had Kopec, like top fifteen, I yeah, think. Me too. That was like I had
1: Kopec, not that high, but I had Kopec really yeah, high still.
0: I mean, I'm not worried at all. Like the, with the conversion rate of Thomas, I get you knock guys down a little bit because of the year and development. Yeah,
1: but... I knock them down in fantasy. I don't I don't necessarily sure. knock them down in a real life list yep, because agree, fantasy agree. I think Push there is the some GTA, more yeah. like yeah, there's some more real like right now value that Absolutely, you know definitely yeah. pushes it a little bit more. Um but yeah, no, I think it's an interesting conversation. So hey, I want you to jump into the Eno thing and then yeah. maybe we'll just we'll run through really quickly. We'll just we just geek out on Keegan McGovern for, like, a <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so, Talk about so well, yeah, this Eno story. My good yeah, friend Eno.
0: Yeah, Eno's the man. Obviously, we we all love him. Um, athletic writer Eno Saris, at Eno Saris on Twitter, uh, released a story today regarding free agency and the fact that the current spending conditions are suggesting that general dollar per war figures are maybe a little lower than what they projected to be. Um, there's an individual named Matt Swartz. I believe is how you say his last name of MLB trade rumors. Who's done some extensive research with this. He was formerly a fan graphs. He projected out that, um, the dollar per win in the free agent market would be around $11 million. Um, in this year, I think that he wrote this probably about two years ago and that it, it would increase like tied to inflation and some other factors in terms of spending. But, um, based on the current spending conditions and everything, you know, is basically calculating that the current dollar per war is about $3 million less. It's at about eight, eight per, uh, 8 million per win. Um, and that could shoot up with guys like Harper and Machado signing, obviously. So maybe say it's nine million per win if they both sign, um, which they will, obviously, and probably will shoot it up if their if their AAV is a little high average annual value. But this is a really interesting point, and I want to tie back to prospects because there's a little bit of a tidbit in here that you know mentions that he thinks teams are getting much smarter about their production. They're able to field with replacement level level players, um, which is forcing kind of the dollar board down a little bit because the replacement level, level is no longer you know, a zero replacement level guy. It's more of like a 0.5. So if I'm a team and I think that my guys in AAA, through my player development and other things, are able to jump up and be 0.5 more guys, then you have to kind of adjust what you value free agents as. Cause, and, and you know they've done this by cutting guys like Corey Dickerson, who was owed about 8.5 last year, um, to pick up like a $4 million Carlos G- Gomez. So this is like a $4 million drop and they're kind of just fielding the major league talent at the same time. It suggests to some extent that the guys are going to call up, the guys that they can field in role player situations can basically equal a guy like Corey Dickerson. And it's a problem for baseball because like this goes back to the little labor strife thing. And I don't really want to get into this it. on a fantasy podcast. It's not really the space for that. But but what it does, I think on the fantasy side is it brings in the possibility that you're going to have a lot more guys who are who are talents at the major league level that are even remotely valuable, I think. And it becomes a lot more interesting for a lot of Dynasty owners with minor league slots. And in in, if you have guys who you're not owning, you know, if you're owning the guys with a ton of upside, does that make you a little less inclined to go after guys maybe with a little bit of floor, knowing that there's going to be such a swath of these replacement level guys at the major league level who are able to get playing time and produce? Um, that you're able to kind of just pick up off waivers, especially if they're fringe guys that they're kind of developing. And the Rays are particularly good at this. I'm sure the Astros are going to be particularly good at this, but they're a little more kind of win now. So I think that adjusts some of their time, time frame. But then again, we've seen guys like Fran Valdez picked up from the Dominican Republic who just comes out of nowhere. You know, no one's scouting this guy. I don't know how they picked him up. And I think this is one of the more, this is probably one of the more underrated mysteries from last year, in my opinion, is, is the acquisition of Fran Valdez and how quickly they made him of not a great major league pitcher, but a major league pitcher who didn't get turned on his head and you know what I mean? And so it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I want to stick to the fantasy angle here, Ralph, just because I think that's more applicable to this podcast. And obviously there's a lot more in terms of non-fantasy angle, but do you think that if teams are this much better guys like the Rays and the Astros are this much better at player development, that they're actually going to increase the level of like these replacement level guys and the ability and pushing it back to fantasy, that there's going to be more players in pools that are relevant. Does that adjust your strategy for like a minor league 10 minor league slots on your roster at all. Do you think it Do you think it will? Do you think it'll have an impact? What are your thoughts on this?
1: It's yeah, a lot I, to ingest. I, I, think, I think it does to an extent, um, especially in, like, deeper leagues, dynasty leagues, where you actually have to roster these guys. Um, I think it feeds into, like, you know, if you're playing in, like, an RCL, like, redraft league, where you can sort of filter through these guys, that the platoon bats and the guys that a lot of these teams sort of employ that are maybe replacement level, but they find a way to utilize them, um, you know, from the sense that they, 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 sort of put them into the right situations against the right handedness or types of arsenals that these guys may be hit with. Um, one, I think it allows teams to probably buy themselves some time developing some of these talents uh, that they think can be everyday guys and potentially take that role build up value for some other guys and potentially trade those off for assets, which I think is what the Tampa Bay Rays have done a good job of. Um, But I also think it leaves less opportunities for older players, maybe between 28 and 32, that are better than these replacement-level guys, that can play in more situations but require um, require bigger salaries and, and more, you know, mm-hmm. uh, more commitment of assets for a longer period of time. I just think it's, you know, as you sort of alluded to, it's just the, the 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 variance is such so small, especially if they can get two guys to fill this role and maybe potentially contribute in other ways as well. Um and not have, maybe not have to deal with the ego. If a guy is in a struggle, they can take somebody out of the lineup and go with somebody else. It gives them more of that roster flexibility that there's not these sort of guaranteed spots that are maybe preordained due to GM spending a boatload of cash in a particular free agent or resigning a player um, that was going to go into free agency that maybe you developed. So I, I think ultimately it's it's just teams being... Smarter about how they invest their money, but it's also the economics of baseball that guys aren't getting into free agency early enough um, in their peaks mm-hmm. and te- that what that does is it allows teams to control them a lot longer and You know even through the arbitration process even when a guy like Nolan Arenado is maybe getting an all-time record uh, you know arbitration award He doesn't necessarily get what he gets in the open market over a long period of time and though there are some, some good contracts. I think ultimately what's happened is it started to have sort of the opposite reaction where some of these teams that are willing to spend money like the Washington nationals or even the red Sox last year with JD Martinez are getting better deals than they would have gotten on the open market five to 10 years earlier.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's very fair. Did I, I, answer,
1: that, did I answer your question at all? Yes. I don't know if I went
0: around it. went, no big deal. <laughs> it's a tough question to answer. I don't think there is a question to answer really. Um, but, I mean, and this goes back around to the fact that you um, know, actually, summarizes in this article that he thinks that there's a possibility, maybe some teams are uh, like the Nationals in particular, a little more inclined to pick up these free agents that aren't getting paid, so, you know, and and that is actually a way for a team that's competing with maybe not the best player development track, not maybe not the time to to revamp their entire player development system, like a team like the like the Brewers this offseason actually have done a very good job of that, which I think is kind of flown under the radar again, but. You know, If you don't have the time to do that and your team's competitive now, then there's actually, because of how the market is suppressed to some extent, it's almost valuable to some extent to start paying this, these, some of these free agents that are a little bit older for like one or two years. We've seen this with Neil Walker, which I, I was actually talking to Ralph, I think, earlier today. and we, I, I surmise that them paying Neil Walker is actually a sign that I think they understand maybe a little bit more of what the market is and how to react and how to actually derive value from players and not – pay a guy like Dietrich to produce the same value as you can and save three million dollars and go with a guy like Neil Walker it may not be what you want in terms of the MLBPA in terms of the labor strife and everything but in terms of actual development of internal systems I I really like the Marlins move in that respect maybe I'm overvaluing it but I think it's a it's a smart move by them they're starting to understand what's going on and this applies to a lot of teams as well but maybe there's an equilibrium equilibrium we can strike with this if not uh Looking forward to that offseason, twenty twenty one. Unfortunately, <laughs> not looking forward to it. Actually, looking forward no. to it just because I'm really interested to see what's resolved. But I hope that there's no actual strike because no baseball is not good. But Ralph, enough of this. Uh, first year player draft, guys. We talked a little bit about this pre pod. We were talking and just rummaging through some video. You were doing a nice little call on prospects live with Jason Panini about this, JP. And oh uh, no no, no. I Jason hear Waddell. Else. Oh,
1: Jason you're doing
0: Oh, okay, my bad, my bad. I thought it was with JP. So you're doing with Waddell You guys have a bunch of guys you're going through. Um. I want to hear about a few of them because we looked at uh, Keegan Thompson and Jalen Palmer, but uh, I heard there's three others here you're interested in. So give us a little rundown. We'll just spend like five minutes on this.
1: So uh, one of the guys that stuck out to me, and I know Jason had a nice little note about him, but uh, this guy, Jack Herman, who was uh, a 30th round pick, 894th overall. He was a high school kid on New Jersey. And I guess what the pirates did is they offered to pay his college tuition in order to sign him away from a co- co- commitment to Maryland. Um, mm-hmm. And he had been projected to go a lot earlier in the draft. He fell all the way to the 30th. They were able to sign him. Uh, Jason got a look at him, thought he had pretty good physical projection and decent approach at the plate. And the numbers were good. I mean, we we did sort of this data uh, search where we took all the guys that were in the draft. We then uh, parsed out our top 100 first year player draft players. And I said, Smata, give me the data on all the top players that didn't make hitters and pitchers that didn't make our top 100. And that's how I want to find my sleepers. I want to do a little number scouting and then I'll go back and I'll look at some stuff. So there happened to be some guys there that, um, you know, I had actually seen some others that I hadn't um, guys that I was aware of just from maybe working on systems or whatever and looking up some different sleepers uh, as well as some guys that I hadn't heard of a guy like Jack uh, Herman, another kid, uh, Jalen Palmer, who was a shortstop from the Mets, uh, good physical projection there, but still pretty raw. Uh, but he had really good numbers, you know, offensively. And I think, any of these guys that are kind of late round prep guys that put up good numbers in their first stint of pro ball definitely have my attention over the college guys. That's not to say there aren't some interesting college players guy like, uh, Jaron Duran, uh, who I believe was a Cal Irvine guy. Double check on that one for me. I think it was Mm -hmm. Cal Irvine. um, I saw him with the Red Sox. He was a seventh round pick, 220th overall. Really good contact speed guy. There's a little bit of pop in the bat as well. He's good defensively, can play all three outfield positions. And I thought he was a really interesting player. At worst, he's a fourth outfielder, but the numbers were good. And he sort of has that. Um, he's a little more toolsy than your average sort of college hitter that mashes in short season or rookie ball. Um, but the numbers were pretty good for him. Uh, another guy that I thought was really interesting was um, this Keegan McGovern, who was an outfielder from Georgia yeah. was all was, I think third team all American uh, was first team all SEC last year as a senior sign. Um, they grabbed him in the ninth round two to overall hit 15 homers. He's got a really unique swing from the left side. Lance and i were going through this really low hands and just, I, I feel like he's really short to the ball. Like, and there's some thump in the bat too. So kind of interesting. I know some of the batted ball data isn't great. He's, pretty um, ground ball heavy. He's not great against lefties. There's always going to be some, some knocks on some of these deeper guys. Um, but as I'm digging through here, there's some interesting players. You know, Keegan McGovern hit 15 homers in a ball. That's the other thing is he did it in full yeah, season, Midwest so, League,
0: which is pitcher base basically.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think there's something that can be said for that. Cal Stevenson, who's a guy that just absolutely destroyed the, the happy league as a blue Jays outfielder, you know, walked more than he struck out. There was some power, some speed. He's an interesting guy to me as well. Um, and some other names here, Matt Vierling from the, uh, from the Phillies, he made it up to uh full season. A, he had some really good numbers with Lakewood. Um, Trey Harris with the Braves made it up to a, had some good numbers, Steven Kwan, uh, who was a fifth round pick. He was actually on that Oregon state team that won the national title last year. He's not a powerful guy. Doesn't have a lot of speed, but he does make a lot of good contact. Makes a lot of contact. So Maybe that's kind of an interesting from a profile that maybe that he can develop a little bit more has some pedigree we went to a a big program and has played with some good players maybe he's a little underrated um, and I had a trio of community college uh, junior college guys and Adrian Ramos from the Blue Jays Sean Roby third baseman from the Giants Corey Howell a shortstop uh, where was Howell from I'm drawing a blank now where Jared Howell was Long
0: from? Beach State too I don't
1: know Long Beach State okay all right. Yeah, um, watching some Jack Herman. Side lunch. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Herman is—I uh, haven't seen him swing before, but he's, uh, <laughs> he's pretty funky. He's got a—he's got actually a, a really like, almost like Alfonso Soriano, Josh Donaldson setup with how he's crouched and how he's his butts towards the pitcher. His numbers are at the pitcher, but but his lower half like does not use the same mechanics. I'd love to see him get into like one more of like a really deep, deep, deep hip load. Um, but that would be a huge deviation before he's generally doing. But there's a home run of his on Twitter, or excuse me, on on YouTube, actually, that uh, reminds me of a home run Estuary Ruiz hit earlier this year. It's kind of like a pitch like up in um, that he kind of just elevates really well and has like a super hot follow-through on, and it's a beautiful, beautiful swing. And uh, I, I don't mind Jack Herman. And um, that uh, McGovern kid, I think, also has cool, sneaky, sneaky good mechanics in terms of how he hits. I don't think there's much lower half there at all. He's really, really upper body heavy, but... The back control he has for how much power he's able to generate is is very, very good to me. Because generally, you've seen a lot of these guys that are a little higher K, more power. Um, they'll just have a lot, a lot of whip, a lot, a lot of bat rap. And that's how they're generating their power. But McGovern is, is you know, he loads really low. He, like, loads below his shoulders, um, which is probably, like, generally the standard, I would say. doesn't really pull back much at all. kind of just drifts up. And is just able to whip balls. And... I like it. Like, I, I think he works well. I mean, he's, obviously he has some problems. He's in left field. He probably doesn't have an arm. Uh, really can't hit lefties. There's knocks, but he's still in the outfield. He's, at least he's not a first baseman. So um, a guy in the ninth round like McGovern, if you could get any value out of him, I, I'm a fan of that. <laughs> he, you, he gives you like half a war a year for four years. That's a successful ninth round pick. Like, the value of that, we're just talking about dollar per war. It's like $22 million on a pick they probably spent, what, like... Fifty thousand on, I don't know what his signing bonus was in the ninth round, but it's probably something around there. So fun, man. I love looking at some of these deep guys and I feel like a lot of people really, really don't dig into them at all. So I don't I don't mind at all spending some time on a pod like this and just digging through, just mentioning names, especially if you're in a really deep first year player draft. Like you're just you're just picking names and it's like you might as well have some foundation for some of these guys, like Herman and great. Keegan McGovern and Jalen Palmer is just a freak athlete. He's like six three one ninety, he's built like a tank um wired kid. So a lot of these guys are fun, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to the story on Prospects Live.
1: Absolutely, yeah. We'll be out on Saturday, so look forward to it. And uh, anything else you wanna you wanna add here before we wrap up? I think it might be a a good time for That'd us to hit the dusty trail, get out of here, and uh, thank all of these listeners for another week in the Rasball Prospect Podcast.
0: Take it easy.